Hi, and welcome to the Making Our Way podcast. I'm Dean DePlanis, and joined as always with my co-hosts, Austin from High Caliber Craftsman and Christy from Twisted Twine Woodworking. This week, we talked to Tom Moss about knife making and pasta boards. Austin is campaigning for a group trip to Costa Rica. I worked on some projects for my sister, and Christy got to put her maker hat on again. Hey, hey, guys. How y'all? Hey, Christy. What's happening? So what have we been up to this week? Uh, Austin, what you got? Oh, I'm on table frame welding (laughs) uh, zone and welding and grinding. Um, So I'm making the table frame for the the competition, or really it's not for the competition, for my wife, but the competition spurred me into action. But um, it's basically uh, one by two tubing and two by two uh, tubing that I'm just welding together. And it's kind of like a two rectangles on the end for the legs. Uh-huh. Of tubing and then it's got a an x frame that uh ties them together and just give it to that that nice. you know a little bit more stability and um that's really all i've been doing i think it, it's it's a lot of welding like because there's so many joints so the most important question what is your wife thinking about it as it's going she's she loves it <laughs> so like, yeah um my wife is like not the person that you want to build stuff for because she is, she doesn't hand out, like she's not the type where when you show her something, she's like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. she's not that. So, oh. <laughs> so I don't, I have to like show everybody else to get my ego fed. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. There's which no is participation trophies in your house. No, no. Like you gotta, and she's like, I'm like, how about a little attaboy? And she's like, it's not done yet. <laughs> there like, you go. God damn it. I we're going over two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But, now, this uh, is also fulfilling the uh, Make What You Fear challenge put on by the Working Hands podcast. Right. Yeah. It's definitely so. Like, at first, when I started, I was like, I'm going to do this and use it for the contest or the challenge or whatever. I was like, I've done woodworking, right? And that, so the idea behind, behind their contest is that you you do something that's that you fear or that you it's not your typical medium, right? They mm-hmm, want you to try right. something different. Well, I've, of course I've done wood, I've done metal, I've done resins and epoxies and whatever, but um, it definitely, I, I've, I, so I didn't think it fit at first, but when I got into the middle and realized like, this is, these are 10 foot long slabs and I am not prepared for it. Like I had five clamps that were big enough to, to do this thing. Yeah, you know? Not yeah. even, that's not true. I had two and then I had to borrow three from my father-in-law. Um, so I, the more I got into it, I'm like, this is way outside my comfort zone. Cause I'm not, not the, well, the base is no big deal. Like I, I, that's no problem. Well, not up, but just doing the tabletop. Mm-hmm. And the more I got into it, the more nervous I got. Cause I'm like, I'm going to fuck up like $400 worth of wood. Yeah. On one go. Like, and, um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way it came out. In fact, because of the stain that we used, she wanted mm-hmm. that like gray wash or whatever. It's, um, it hid all those glue line issues that I had, you know, oh, I did good. the, I did the sand, sawdust and glue trick and stuff. You can't see anything. It looks great. So I'd say I'm like 90% happy with it. Like there's a couple of like scratch marks and stuff in there that, you know, that's nobody. Yeah. That's going to happen anyway. I mean, yeah, no, I mean like not in the finish. It's actually like I scratched the wood with the heavier grit sandpaper and didn't quite oh. get it out. And that's the problem. I was standing in like direct sunlight 
And I was just like snow blind. I couldn't really see what was happening until I, mm. and then as soon as I put stain, I'm like, oh man. So, and, but it actually doesn't look too bad. But um, Good. those are marks from the mill. Right. There you go. That's actually kind of what it looks like. You know, and surfboards, we would call them hack marks. That's what, you know, because if you hack them and when we used to sand boards, when we were going real fast, we used to say, hack them and rack them, like just get them done and stick them in the rack and let's go, you know? Um, so I'd, I call it rustic charm. There you go. There you go. That works. Dean, what have you been up to? I, uh, I had a busy week last week, but I guess the main highlight, I, I went to my sister's house in Baton Rouge. She bought one her kids, one of those big wooden play sets that come in like five boxes on a crate oh. from a truck mm-hmm. with the big Awful. yellow spiral slide and it's two stories with the multiple swings and and all that so you know i tell her uh, she asked me if i'd come help build it i said sure of course and um the day before she's like oh well the girls have softball games at eight and eleven it'd be really great if you made it to those and then we have vocal practice at this time i'm like lady what how long do you think this is going to take like, yeah. I think she thought the A team would show up and it's just kind of a done deal. And yeah. so I'm thinking about the four hours it took me to put a top on a Jeep. I can't imagine what it's going to take to build. And if you've never built one of these things, it is nightmare fuel. There yeah. are so many pieces and they're all numbered. And so the directions are almost like so specific that it's overwhelming. Like oh. all the screws are different lengths or they have different heads. There were some with, you know, the square head screws. There were some with Phillips head screws. There were some with, half inch bolts, uh, seven sixteenth bolts. Like there was no consistency necessarily in the fasteners. And then all the boards have numbers on the ends. So if you ever build one of these, it is a full job, get you somebody there who's not good at building, but can go and just lay the wood out in order, just laying the wood out in order. And then when you yell, Hey, I need three S sevens, four A sixes, uh, flat washers and, and, you know, T-nuts to go with those. They can go through the 50 packages of fasteners and find the ones that go with that and bring those over to you. And then get you somebody that can read that Ikea on steroids stuff and tell you exactly what you need to build. Because the hero is not the guy with the, the socket wrench. The hero is the person who can read that and tell you what fasteners go where and how it lays out. Because we spent just as much time in the beginning taking stuff apart to redo it before we started to understand how the, the graphics and the directions were really laid out. And then we got to the end and there were some that were just wrong. Like it would tell you to use this bolt. There's only one bolt in the bag. You need 20 for this part of the assembly. There was only one bolt in that bag, but there's surprisingly 20 in this other bag that we haven't used yet. And so it was like, Oh, okay, well the directions were incorrect. Uh, And there were a few were like the way the graphic was drawn. It looked like a, brace went one place, but it just made no sense. But if you put it on the other side, it somehow just fit perfectly. And so like, okay, this is either we're not reading it right or their three dimensional drawing in two dimensions is not, but um, yeah, so we started, my dad and I started at 10 on Saturday um, cause he had to drive up. And then my sister and brother-in-law came and helped throughout the day when they didn't have the kids to mess with. And we stopped at eight that night and had the slide to go. And I'm not saying we couldn't have finished that night, but we were all about to kill ourselves or kill each other. I mean, <laughs> kill each other. Right. Probably, yeah. Yeah. You like it goes like this and you're like, no, it doesn't. And they're like, yeah, it says, right. I said, I don't care what it says. That's not how it goes. And so you were like, okay, we need to stop this. And so my sister and I went out the next morning 
and um and my brother-in-law and we finished the slide in about two hours so it was about 12 hours of work for you know between three and four adults and we even had the kids coming out there they were the they were the uh, fastener farriers. You know, you tell them what bolts and, and washers you need it and they'd bring them over. Yeah. Building those things is like a nightmare, man. And I'm convinced the Chinese make those to increase the divorce rate in American families. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think like with all the different heads of the, you know, the lengths and all those kind of things, do you think they had 400 zillion different kinds so that you made sure you used certain ones in certain spots or I don't, I, or, that doesn't or do make you think it could have been me. more universal? I know that's what I'm yeah, trying to I, understand. I don't know why you're putting two by, I'm sure they went by some kind of guidance because they're probably, it's probably legal. You know, there oh, probably was yeah. some lawsuit and they came out and went, Oh, well this fastener wasn't robust enough. And so instead of making all the fasteners more robust, they just made those failure points more robust. And so um, economically it makes sense for, the screws that go in this just to be whatever the cheapest screw we can get because it's not structural. But then once we move to structural, well, then they need to meet these, you know, share ratings and different capacities. So it's a fine dance between, you know, legal and financial. We built one for our kids a couple of years ago and it was a gift from the in-laws. And I was like, no, the real gift is you assholes show up and build this thing. Not (laughs) don't, don't drop it off at the doorstep and expect me to put it together. And it took me like two days of putting it together. And it's just, it was nowhere near the size of the one you, you just did. And I was like, next time I have to build one of the things, if there is another next time I'm pulling out the framer and I'm just going to shoot the bitch so together. I, said, <laughs> I, should just grab, I should just brought a nail gun and not done all these screws and just doom, 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 and yeah. shot nails and all this stuff. You'll Blew get it. a kick out of this, the running joke, which is hilarious because I'm pretty sure I'm the tallest one in my family was that oh my. I could stand up. So like I'm on the second floor <laughs> putting the roof on and I can stand up on the roof. They're like, look, he can stand up. And I'm going, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm taller than all of you. So I, I don't understand how this is that funny to y'all. I'm up here because when it comes to which one of us can put this screw in the right place, I've watched y'all strip out 50 screws thus far. I'll handle these last 12. I think it would have been funnier if you were all wearing white jumpsuits and red and uh, green hair while you were building it. Like Oompa Loompas. Yeah, <laughs> I had on my Austin Lord. high caliber gray jumpsuit because I thought yeah. it would be cute for the gram and it made it till about noon and it was so hot. I had to take it off. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a project. You don't want to start at 10. You want to start that at like yeah, seven six. in the morning. Yeah. 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 What about you, Christy? What would you do this week? Uh, well, actually, uh, last week, I actually made something from scratch with glue and screws and the whole nine yards and even got to cut things a little bit. Uh, I made a sign for my for my sister. We had a uh, wedding shower this weekend, which I realized, you know, very basic sign, you know, with their name on it and their wedding date and stuff like that. But that's kind of a tradition, you know, for for the last few weddings that I've made um, those kind of signs and brides love those signs. I mean, that's a that's an easy, um, you know, that's easy, customizable gift for for a bride. Then and, and they all love it. But I used, uh, you know, one long piece of <clears throat> barn wood, you know, from the family farm and, and planed it down enough, just enough to kind of give me a flat surface to work on with my cricket. And, you know, that cricket has just been the handiest, you know, tool. When, uh, when you're planing down that old barn wood, do you run a, um, like a metal detector over it to make sure there's nothing, nothing in it? No. Um, because I know that the, 
the nails that were used on the barn are so noticeable. I know there's no pin nails in any right. of that material. Now, if we're um, if we're using barn wood, that's not from barns that I'm familiar with, then I would. But right. in this case, you know, there's there's no pin nails or anything that would have been used would be very noticeable. So right. I'm not um, I'm not running any problems so far. That's cool. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. I'm sure that she liked it. Yes. Yes, she did. And I kind of lost track of um, taking pictures or anything. So I only had one picture of it finished <laughs> and I didn't even take a picture of her and I together with it. But um, but, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. You know, yeah. you're excited about making it. You're excited about giving it. And, <clears throat> you know, yeah. But Sometimes yeah. the first thing to, to leave is documentation of it. You know, yeah. it's, all right. I don't have time. Got to go. Let's something's yeah. got to something's got to give here. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great weekend with the family two weekends in a row. So, um, you know, I thoroughly enjoy that. Cool. All right. This week we're joined with my direct tool hunting competitor, Tom Moss. Amen. Oh, it makes so much sense yeah. now. <laughs> I didn't put the geography together. This is the this guy. Is the guy. <laughs> All those <laughs> shitty things you say about the guy. Oh, okay. Okay. Now. It's going down now. Here we go. Yeah. You guys know okay. him as this mother. That's how you guys know him. Yeah. Gotcha. So anyways, Tom, thanks for joining us. Maybe if you could uh, tell people who you are, what you do. Hi. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, Tom. <laughs> uh, I mainly make knives, uh, do a lot of stock removal, but over the last year, I got more into forging knives and that stuff. I, I do some woodwork. I make, I'm trying to aim more for kitchen items. I do uh gnocchi boards or pasta texture boards. I do some ceramics. I make spoons, wooden spoons, copper spoons, just there, but mainly knives is what I focus on. Let's just go straight into it. You have a workshop that is comparable to like the equipment that I have, uh, some of it that I'm quite jealous of. So maybe if you could just kind of tell us about your workshop, like what, what you, what you have in there, you know, like what's your typical process for your knives? What kind of equipment are you using? Well, I guess we'll start the steel. I mean, I have a uh, nice seven by 12 hydraulic fed uh, metal bandsaw, which I, you know, use to cut my stock down. I also have mm -hmm. a, you know, the DeWalt on the swag table mount is a phenomenal tool. Use that all the time. You're uh, talking about like a, the porta band? The porta uh, band with a, yeah, yeah. yeah, on the table mount. So, uh, you know, those are probably the first tools the steel sees. And then depending if I'm doing stock removal, then it's, you know, I, I cut out the shape or if I'm forging, it's, you know, obviously I hammered a shape. So, but, uh, you know, I got a Northridge grinder, which is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think what else? So, you know, I got a couple drill presses I've picked up over the years and restored. I, I used to, I used to buy, buy and sell a lot of tools. That's how a lot of my tools got built up and exchange for new stuff. And, uh, that my kiln for heat treatment, I got liquid nitrogen. I got a lot of tools. Yeah. I can see. Mainly I was talking about your big stuff, like your power hammer and your uh, oh. hydraulic press and you know, the stuff that uh, makes me jealous that you have. Yes. A coal iron 16 plus 16 ton press and uh, a clay Spencer tire hammer. Nice. Yeah. I thought it was funny the way Austin brought us into that because I actually wrote a note 
uh, tour of shop might be more tools than Austin, comma, definitely more tools than Austin. <laughs> I mean, it's an, you've got a reel where you kind of just navigate through. Actually, it was a story you posted today. Today. Where you kind of navigate yeah. through. And I was like, holy heck, he's got everything. Like everything. Yeah. Oh, not yet. Almost. Almost everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because so you know, I joke that he's my direct competitor, but he is my direct competitor, but we're at the point now where I'm like, what do you need? And I tell him what I'm looking yeah. for. And we're both kind of hunting at the same time. So after, after he swiped that last bridge port from underneath me, uh, I think we're, we're pretty much like not hunting for the same things anymore. Yeah. Well, one of the tools you have I've never seen before is a um, billet twister. I guess you use in your knife making process. Could you tell our listeners what a billet twister is and how that tool works and, and what it does for you? Yes, of course. That uh, the, the motor and all that is actually a rigid pipe threader, which I took Ooh. and basically where the arms would be, where the threading mechanism would go, I replaced it with a a pipe vise on sliders. So I'm able to where the pipe would slide in and lock into the chuck and then be threaded and be spun as this high torque, low RPM. I think it's like 30 RPM, but very high torque motor would spin to thread big metal pipes. That's, that's what I use It's just, it's been converted to twist steel. And that was actually the video I posted about a week or two ago was the first time I ever used it, but it's other people have made those. I saw it in someone's video one time on YouTube and I'm like, I found one at a yard sale. I'm like, I'm going to buy that and make one of those. But uh, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I just had a question about what's the maximum size billet that you would, you know, feasibly fit in there and try to twist. I know there's got to be like a limit to the amount of horsepower or torque that that thing has. I'm going to find out. Yeah, I, uh, I, I really don't know yet. The billet I did was an inch and a half. And I think I could easily do a two inch square billet, you know, by like 18 inches or so. But uh, I probably wouldn't push it more than that. I don't know. I mean, if I ever did something bigger, I might try it. So I think we might find out. <laughs> cool. So if you can kind of tell people like what's the reason because a lot of people that are listening to this are not knife makers. Right. So you kind of got to bring it down to their level. Like what are, why are you twisting steel? Well, I'm twisting it to the steel I'm twisting is uh, basically to make uh, forge welded steel Damascus. And what I do is I take layers of uh, 1084 high carbon steel. I forge weld those into a stack and then once that's into a block, you could actually, you can see the different layers, the, the silver and the gray, if you look at it from the side. And then once I put it into the twister, it just creates that pattern. And that the silver would be like a candy cane, like making a candy cane where you took red and white and twist. This is going to basically candy cane it out more extreme. I do about 30 turns on it. And then once I stack that in a knife, it will just show that pattern when it's finally done and just a little contrast when I dye it. It looks like on a few of your posts, you've used what I would consider kind of non-traditional items for making your blades. If I'm following your uh, post, right. But like 
uh, the bourbon barrel straps, the metal from the bourbon barrel straps. And then did I see something with chainsaw chains? Did yes. that have something to do with, with making blades? Can you kind of walk me through that? Cause I'm like, wait a minute, those are chainsaw blades or chainsaw chains. What are we doing here? Can you kind of, you know, what are some of the other unusual things, or at least what a non bladesmith would think as unusual uh, things to make blades out of? Yeah. The, uh, the bourbon barrel straps, they actually came from uh, a bourbon distillery in uh, Newport News, Virginia, and uh, doing a little project with them. I got some oak barrels and barrel the barrel straps they weren't using. And that process is called Sanmai, which in Japanese means three sheets. Oh. And it's basically three layers. And what, to, uh, what I'll do is the center layer is 1084 high carbon steel, which is a great kitchen knife material or any type of knife okay. material. It's great. And on the outside, it's like making a Oreo where the, the black outer cookie is the bourbon barrel straps, or it could be wrought iron or any other material that would show a contrast. And then basically I forge weld them together. And when you grind them, you'll see a, a difference in the materials and it'll actually be a little bit softer on the spine. There's different, all different forms of sand ma you can do. Some people do it with stainless coating the 1084 because 1084 will rust. It's a carbon steel. Like you're, you ever oh, have okay. a, your grandmother ever have an old knife that was blackened, like yes. really sharp though. Those old knives you used grandparents might've had, that's probably mm-hmm. 1084 or a high carbon steel. So they'll take, you know, get that patina if you treat it nice over time. But, you know, so that was a process with the bourbon barrel straps. I've also done that with wrought iron. Wrought iron I got from uh, boat anchors, like old, oh. old boat anchors, boat chain. Mm-hmm. I have uh, parts of buildings, old fences, whatever, like anything before like 1910 that was wrought iron. Uh, I've done it with Damascus on the outside. There's a lot of different procedures. So, Yeah. So when you're working with the wrought iron, I've I've heard that the that it's pretty difficult to work with. Could you maybe talk about that a little bit? It is difficult in that if you don't have it really hot, it can separate and shear as you're trying to press it or hammer it. You know, mm-hmm. and just does the temperatures it works in, but once you have it, because I, I get it, like the chain link I had was probably it was a one chain link and it was probably 45 pounds. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big, so, big ship. Yeah. This is probably like three inch diameter rod bent into a, you know, a oval. And uh, so taking that, like taking a chunk out of that, which would, you know, three inches across and two inches high and lengthening it out to a usable size, which would be about a quarter inch thick by two inches by, you know, 20 inches. By the time you flatten that out, you'll, Sometimes with wrought iron, just the impurities that are in it will it'll split. And you just have to make sure the temperature is right. And uh, but you do it because it has this beautiful wood grain when you're done. So this plain knife kind of has this beautiful texture to it of this old steel. And so when you were taking these wrought iron chain links, was the chief not wondering why the buoy tender was three inches closer <laughs> to the dock every day or <laughs> I actually had to, I actually had to buy the chain link off of, uh, someone else. Who's it? Mount Phillip metalwork. Oh, Chris. Yeah. 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 So Chris. I bought, I bought, I bought the chain link off of him and he mailed it down to me, but, uh, I do have, I'm supposed to pick up a anchor 
this summer up in Rhode Island when I go to visit a friend of mine. He got pulled up in his lobster traps or his, cool. his fishing his on his fishing boat. So awesome. Um, so because of the grain structure of it, and it's basically like grant, you know, um, like you said, that's almost like strings or like a like a wood grain. You have to work it at like four dwelling temperature, basically, is what you're saying. It, yeah, it was for that's what I was told when I was told like because the first time I tried to use it, it just it just split apart. Like once I got it down to about a little bit over right under a half inch, it started to split. And then right. I read up on it and they said you're not hot enough or you're doing it cold. So you got to get it red, like yellow hot or just hot as you can, and then quick work it quick and put it back in the forge. Hmm. Interesting. Are you using a coal forge or a propane or what's your preference when it comes to forging? Propane. I use propane. propane. I had a, had a coal and I, unfortunately I sold it. I do wish I still had it, but I did have to make room at one point. (laughs) It's a constant struggle. Yeah. Well, Tom, I feel like we kind of jumped up to minute 30 questions. I'm wondering if we could maybe just come back to some basic stuff on the types of knives you make. Uh, You know, knives is a huge subject. Um, you can get into different types of blade styles and lengths and designs. So I'm curious, how would you describe the Tom Moss typical knife? Hmm, good question. Most of my knives, I think, are based on Japanese style. You know, that just I just like them. I don't know why. I just always like the, you know, a Nakiri or a K-tip or a Satoku, you know, just as the shape of knives. But I mean, that just seems to be popular out there and probably what sells also. You know, that people just like those and they use them. And that's the most I get requested too. So that's. And so then on that vein, by the request, do you make knives and then those go up for sale or are you a custom, like do you take orders for styles? I, up until just basically this year, I was 100, basically I was just on orders. People would request a knife and I would tell them five or six months and put their name in a book and once it got ready or once I got closer, we would pick out the wood scales, the handles and all that. But now I'm trying to lean towards, you know, I want to produce more of what I want to do and do the occasional custom. So if that makes sense, you know, just cause it was headaches sometimes. No, that makes perfect sense because you get into the philosophical question as a maker, uh, make with you love or make with someone else's, you know, ordering from you. Um, Because I was kind of curious when it comes to the material selection of the scales, um, how much of that is you maybe recommend back to your customers? I think this would look good or these are my options. Or do you get people that just straight up say, I want this and this and this? Occasionally I'll get someone that wants, I want this. I've even had people send me materials they wanted. Like I had someone that wanted, uh, Osage Orange mm-hmm. that was from his family's land down in Texas. Texas. You know, so, yep. Yeah. So he wanted that, which I was like, yeah, send it to me. That's what I got to do to it. And he was, he was good. And uh, so I've had that. Then I've had usually typically I'll like, Hey, this is what I have available. There's some color. Look through my old photos on Instagram and tell me if something you liked. I don't like to repeat stuff though, but I'm like any of these you like, or I'll, I'll kind of make a batch of 10 handles and go, Hey, any, you like any of these, you know, basically in order who's there and they'll pick that out. But I, I have had bad requests or people want something and I'll just say now. 
That's okay. So we're right in my wheelhouse. What's the weirdest thing somebody's asked you to do on the handle? Uh, I mean, grandma's ashes was one. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, I I understand that, but it was, it was Mm -hmm. more of a hunting knife they wanted. So I actually pass that off to a friend, which might be, you know, we can give you a connect that they can take that grandma's ashes and breast milk and turn it into jewelry. Um, it's a different episode we'll get into later. Where are you going to get grandma's breast milk? <laughs> That's in the dehydrated section. Oh, shit. That was good. <laughs> That's the powder milk. So then you name the, you know, the Japanese style of the blades and whatnot. Do the, I always wondered, do the handles have that kind of, you know, language with them too? Because I noticed a lot of yours have this real slender, sleek look. Is it an all-in-one package or do the handles have a certain style? They do. I mean, a lot of the traditional Japanese style handles are what they call wa handles, W-A. And that is basically, typically, it's like an octagon handle that tapers slightly towards the front. You probably, we've all seen those. And I seldom do those. I might do a partial. Sometimes I'll do those. And that's also a thing with hidden tang knives where you don't see the tang where it's bedded into the wood, the wood itself. And a lot of those Japanese knives, they're just heat formed into there where they're not even glued, whatever. So they're replaced. Sometimes they're not stabilized. They're they'll rot over time. But uh, there are a lot of different styles handles. So I kind of keep that same simple pattern or handle shape on all mines just because it's streamlined. And I don't know. I think the more people are doing it now, though, so I might have to change that up a bit. What's your preferred wood or material to use for uh, for the handle? Uh, it used to be Coco Bolo. Like all my first knives, a lot of my first knives were Coco Bolo, but then I developed a allergic reaction to it. Oh, wow. And uh, but lately I've been doing a lot of ironwood, a lot of uh, bog oak. Mm-hmm. which is just beautiful. And, uh, and Boinia been doing okay. work with and just, just anyway, I have, I have like all, I have so much wood in my shop. I have, I have enough wood probably to do like 600 knives. I have so much wood in my shop and way too much. I, I keep buying wood too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you dye them a variety of colors. It looks like too. What is that? just like a pressure pot or a soaking or what's your, what's your way of dyeing the wood? It's a, uh, some of the wood I buy, I do buy it already dyed and, and colored. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do also do it at home. It's a, a, a it's called stabilizing mm-hmm. and it's done in a vacuum chamber. So gotcha. I have a, basically it's the product is called this cactus juice. There's SOS. Mm-hmm. And it's basically you put the wood into a vacuum chamber in the liquid, you dye the liquid of whatever color, then you pull it under vacuum for days until basically the bubbles stop. And sometimes it can take two weeks. Sometimes it takes four days and then it's a heat activated resin. So after it's basically, it no longer floats, no air bubbles are escaping. You release the vacuum and you'll put it into a toaster oven and it, basically by weight, like uh, if I took a piece of maple that was about four ounces pre-stabilization after stabilization, it's probably going to be about 10 ounces, about eight ounces of that over half the weight 
of that piece of wood is actually resin. It's a heat activated resin. It's plastic, but it still retains the look or whatever of the wood. And it's water resistant. It's just lasts allegedly forever, but probably, you know, or for a while. Well, since we've discussed knife scales, I had a note here that you really feel like a full cycle knife maker because not only are you doing some of the scales and the woodwork, you also make your own leather sheets as well. Yeah. And so how important is it to you to kind of put your hands on all aspects of the product that you're sending out? That's big for me. I, I like, uh, I like it to be what I want it to look like. Like even the handle, even the spacing of the bolts, even the the spacing, it's just a, you know, just a wood handle, but even like, you know, proportions and all that. I like that. Like I have bought pre-made handles from other makers that make knife handles and they're beautiful, beautiful work, but something about it. I'm like, it's, it, that's not me. It's not what I would have picked out. They're beautiful, but probably better than what I can do. But, well then, I, and I want to ask you about the shape of your knife sheets. They, they kind of have like a drop tip to the, the leather work, but then they have this kick out uh, by the handle. I was just curious, you know, what inspires the shape of the knife sheets that you make? Basically, I think because I, it, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of the way it flows. And also when I'm cutting the leather out itself, it's shaped like a uh, Star Trek emblem. So yeah, but I just like the, you know, they're just for shipping or storage. They're not really, it's not a belt sheath or anything. So it's kind of just flair. I was reading up on you a little bit and um, I saw that your parents made leather notebook covers back when you were a kid. They made, they made purses. They made, uh, purses. okay. Yeah. Yeah. They made leather purses and, uh, they actually got to a point where they had two employees, like the state of Massachusetts paid the employees to work for them to sew leather pocketbooks together in our basement because they were, they were the women, they came to the country and they were just, it was a job program. So they did that. And my dad traveled around selling them out of a Volkswagen bus. <laughs> Wow. So yeah. did you, did you learn any of your leatherworking skills from your parents? Maybe I saw it and it gave me the confidence to actually do it, but to actually hands-on, not really. I had to watch YouTube about, I, I used to make leather wallets also before knives and do some leather work. So I just, one day I ordered a kit off Amazon. I'm like, I'm going to make a wallet. And I made a wallet. I still use it, ah, <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were very artsy. My, my mom's a painter. She's an artist. She, she made jewelry in the basement. She had jewelry torches and did that. Uh, we had a potter's wheel, a kiln in the basement. So I was surrounded by a lot of art growing up. Well, I know you've mentioned a kiln once before and you uh, have talked about wanting to do kitchen style projects. I noticed in one of your photos, you had a, it almost looked like a set of cups and maybe a carafe or a decanter of some nature that looked, but do you dabble in some pottery yourself? We do. Yeah, yeah, we do. Actually, my wife and I have been playing around and, with it. I, yeah. Did you make that set? Yeah, yeah, we made those. Is that something you, you see building on? I think so, actually, because it's really relaxing. It's really peaceful. So as I transition from the Coast Guard, and I'm going to do knives Monday through Friday. 
I'm like, I think I'm going to do pottery on Saturday, Sunday. I think that's going to be my new, what knives was before to take my mind off stuff. Mm-hmm. Of you know, knives got me out of, out of the office. They let me get out in the shop and let me do that. But now it's kind of turning into, this might be a kind of a job or work. I wanted something else on the weekends that I, I, I chase hobbies. There'll be something else in six months, but for right now, <laughs> I, I definitely want to do more pottery. That's cool. So I tell you what, kind of at the midway point, we do um, some kind of just off the wall, this or that questions, uh, throw a few options at you and see, you know, what our guest prefers. And so um, I noticed in your bio on your website that uh, you kind of got your maker start on Legos when you were growing up. So I was curious if uh, you could go out and get any Halo Lego set right now. Do you think you'd go with uh, one of the Lego pirate ships and, and kind of go to your Coast Guard side? Or would you get maybe the Star Wars Millennium Falcon uh, and go with that youth that we all shared? Oh, Star Wars in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think I would agree with that one. And then another thing, you have a ton of reels. And one thing I really love about the music choice in your reels, you don't kind of sell out for what the trendy music is. It really feels like the music you're picking is what's probably on in your workshop and and things that you like. So two groups I I found you went to more than once were the Beastie Boys and uh, Eric B and Rakim. Um, Don't sweat the techniques. I'm just wondering if you had to pick one of those to just this is my Monday every week for the rest of my life. Real music. We're going Beastie Boys or Eric B. Well, that's tough. I mean, those individual song that Eric B. Don't sweat the technique. That's a go-to for you. You've used yeah, it a few times. That's, yeah. Have I? Yeah. I, yeah. Definitely. Was, that would be. I just it's a great song. I love the Beastie yeah. Boys, though. There's no wrong answer with those choices. Yeah. And then. I had one more question for you. You know, when we talk about music and artists who could possibly be still living among us, I was wondering who do you think is more likely to still be alive, Tupac or Elvis? Tupac's still alive. I can guarantee that he's living in Cuba. All right. We've kind of talked about knife making. I think we're going to come back to knife making uh, and we hit on pottery, but I had a question. What the hell is a pasta board? Mm. Yeah. Great question. Uh, that is used to shape cavatelli or gnocchi basically you put the shapes on pasta mm-hmm. and you just roll it out and they also have ones for uh ravioli if you want to do i started making those which have the divot in there to, to form it but basically they just put the textures on pasta and, and so are you cutting these on a cnc i am and uh, some of the ones like the ravioli ones I'm doing by hand because I don't know how to program that the a bowl shape, yeah. the dish in my X carve. But uh, but yeah, there's CNC and then I clean them up. Let, let me ask you some more. Where are you selling these? Are these on your website or do you go to, you know, do you have a VW bus that you hop in and go sell these on roadside? No, because uh, it was all custom order. They were basically a request through Instagram. I do have a website, but I haven't. I'm still catching up on orders. So I haven't really been able to stock the website. The website was just launched, I think, in November. And uh, had some stuff before the holidays. But uh, but yeah, just Instagram. Just DMs right now. Yeah, I noticed the, the website was very sold out, except for the Tom Moss t-shirt. And if you don't have one, all three of us are wearing ours tonight. So if you want to be in the cool club, go grab you a Tom (laughs) Moss t-shirt. 
Well, why don't we get back into knives? Uh, I think Austin, maybe could you, uh, you had some yeah, more I have questions? a direct question Yeah. Um, for your chef knives. What kind of grind are you doing on this? Is it a hollow grind or an, no, no, I'm a, it's flat to convex. There is, because I do use a radius platen, which is a, a rubber belt backer to my two by 72 belts. So there is a slight actually convex to it on the, on my larger chef's knives. The other ones are flat grind. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Cause I was just curious because I haven't seen them in person, obviously, but uh, they seem your chef knife seem pretty long. What's the average length on the blade of, of your knives? Uh, I mean, it depends on the style of knife. I've been a lot of people like my eight inch K tip and uh, yeah, it's approximately eight, eight to eight and a quarter, depending on how exact I am that week. And uh and then the handle is about five and a half. So in our house, we count the whole length all the way down to the base of the handle when we're doing measurements <laughs> like that. As okay. bigger is better. Yeah. With the paring yeah. knife's an eight inch in, in my house. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. One thing I, you had mentioned, um, I think on, on one of your posts was the possibility of doing um, matching scales on your knives with like cutting boards and, and those kind of things to kind of coordinate your kitchen items. Um, is that something to look forward to in the future for you or kind of where are you thinking with that? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I made a cutting board a few months ago, like one of those multicolored, I had a bunch of scraps of wood, all this purple heart and other woods. And then I got done with it and being a knife maker and not a cutting board maker, I was like, this would make a really nice knife handle. I could do a whole <laughs> set. I want to, I got this cutting board. I want I just spent all these hours and cause I had just got a joiner at a auction. Cause I, well, I'm like, I'm going to make a cutting board, but I really wanted to cut it up into 10 knife handles that match. Nice. So I go. haven't yet, but someday. <laughs> that's a great idea. That is really, that's really a good idea. See Austin, he bought that joiner from under you and then never even used it. Oh, what a jerk. No. <laughs> 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 so you're, uh, you're, you're forging a bunch of Damascus now and kind of going in that route. And I know you have to, um, acid etch them at the end. What's your process look like for your, um, your etching process? I use instant coffee. I uh, take a thing of uh, Nescafe Classico and the whole one pound jar, whatever the large jar, and about a gallon of hot water, which really strong, obviously. And that's what I use for my acid, just because it's kitchen knives. You can use ferric chloride and rinse it off and neutralize it and whatever. But I just feel better using instant coffee. And it's also a slower process where it takes like a few hours where ferric chloride's like 10 minutes and you could overdo it. Right. So. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, uh, I didn't know that coffee would have that big of an impact on it. I thought for sure you were going with the ferric. Yeah. This was a, um, Mamasi, Mamasi fire arts. I heard him talk about how he uses Nescafe Classico and this is what he does. I was like, that guy is amazing. I'm going to do what he does. <laughs> right. 
So I want to talk about too, because we, I texted you earlier, of course, and we were talking about forge welding. And I said, what kind of um, flux are you using? And you told me that you're using diesel fuel, <laughs> which blew my mind because I'd never heard anything like that before. You know, I'm not a seasoned knife maker or anything, but could you talk about like why you're using diesel fuel as a, as a flux or, or, and, and to help people what a flux does. Uh, I think the best way of the flux when I'm combining the, the two steels, we'll go back with 1084 and 15 and 20 again. When I stack those up, obviously there's voids. I will weld them together just to hold them in place. But basically, I don't want any oxygen in there because that will create voids. And what flux does is basically fill those voids until it's pressed. We'll just keep oxygen from getting in there. Like if you, a lot of people, old blacksmiths and even glass blowers use borax. There's something about the borax will act as a flux will actually get in those cavities. Then it could create a pocket, which could cause problems, but typically it, it does come out and just helps you weld those two materials better. When I use diesel, when I put the diesel into the, the forge, it actually, it's not a huge fireball because diesel, you know, is not that explosive. Yeah. So when I put it in there, fire does come out a little bit of flame, but it actually creates a carbon layer between the layers of steel that just protect it from oxygen while it's heating up. And then until I can press it in my, my, my 16 ton press just helps keep the material clean for that process. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, I never had heard anything like that before. So I was like, that is wild. Like, <laughs> I wonder if it's the same thing. If, uh, if you could use like, you know, how they use like the, uh, the old, um, fry grease oil and stuff like that. Could you do the same thing? I don't know. I basically, I think the diesel does cause the, the forge is at like 2000 degrees. So the, the, the diesel flashes off pretty quickly, but like I've never, I, I would, I do wear a glove, but it never like, you'll see a flame shoot out of the forge, but it's not explosive, you know, or anything. It's just a flame, but I've heard people use kerosene also, but I just, I was like diesel. That seems safe to have in the shop also that I do metal work in. Right. (laughs) If you used old use grease from the restaurant around the corner, you could label yourself as sustainable and (laughs) eco-friendly. The eco-friendly bladesmith. Biodiesel bladesmith. Or you could call it kitchen to shop to kitchen knives, <laughs> right? There you go. <laughs> Tom, reading one of your other posts, uh, you had a comment about staying humble and, you know, being appreciative of all the things you've accumulated, the tools we've talked about and the skills you've learned and how all this is knowledge has been passed down. Could you just talk to us about what staying humble and appreciative means to you and, and how that plays into this process. Cause you make a truly beautiful art worthy knife, but you haven't come across as braggadocious um, yet. Oh, thanks. Uh, no, I, I have, I'm very lucky. I've, I've been lucky in my tool finding that I've been able to be Austin and find some amazing deals. <laughs> there you go. Uh, oh wait, can we stop for a second? Just so you know, I was three minutes behind you messaging that guy about the bridge fort. Three really? minutes. Yeah. 
Because I texted oh you after he said it sold, and I said, "You son of a bitch! I know it was you." And you're like, "Look at the smell! Like, Damn it!" So sorry. Go ahead. I, I should I should have bought his lathe also. I agree. But anyways, yeah, but that was phenomenal. But uh, no, no, I just been very lucky. Uh, we're, you know, I I I've, I've had I loved my career, my job for the last twenty some years, and uh, we got to a point where we didn't want to move. But wife pushed me to, I was going to build a small shop and my wife's like, oh, that's too small. Build something bigger. I'm like bigger. She's like, yeah, this is, she's like, came to me. She works at the bank. She works for Navy federal. And, uh, she came to me. She's like, this is how much you have and how much you can spend build. I was like, okay. So I ended up with a huge shop. So I got her support with all this. Uh, I don't know. I've just been lucky. And I've a lot of great makers nearby that took me under their wing. Uh, Jesse Ewing down in Virginia Beach and a couple other people locally just really helped me out. So does she do any um, any making with you out in the shop? Uh, she occasionally will restore some furniture out in the shop. Oh, uh-huh. She'll start sanding it and then she'll tell me to finish sanding it. And, uh, <laughs> That's a smart woman. I like her already. She'll, she'll, she'll do the cute paint and all that. I'll help her with that. Just some of that stuff. And I know what to use, but she does the watercolor. She does a lot of painting. Oh. She is mm-hmm. doing, she also does pottery. Like half the bowls that you saw, in, I think a post earlier, she, she's out there with me. I'm trying to her, her to take over the ceramic section of Moss Knives someday, but, uh, yeah, yeah, she's out there. I'm trying to think, and she's never tried to grind a knife. I've tried to get her out there to make a bottle opener. She's still a little timid about that. I caught her using someone else's knife a couple of weeks ago, which I don't know what to do with her. So <laughs> that's Dang. crossing a line. Yeah, wow. I, know, I, know. Dang. I was like, why are you using that knife? She's scared of my knives, she says. <laughs> Everybody that comes on the podcast, we ask them a question. That's a three tools question. And I know uh, you're a guy that moves a lot (laughs) from the military years. So if you were going to go start a new shop, what were the first three tools? And then I have a follow-up for you after this. So the first three. First three. My Northridge grinder. My even heat. Kiln. And... My, I probably would keep the bridge port, but I haven't even used a bridge port yet. That'll probably be my three, but I could drill yeah. holes with it. That was a spite choice. I know yeah, it, was. it was just so awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, so let's talk about, cause I know you're uh, uh, an addict like me. What's the next three, the next three that you're looking for right now? Oh, my next ones I want to get. Yeah. What is, uh, what's the, the, the current obsession? I want one of those swage blocks I see in blacksmith shops, even though I think I won't really use it that much. Maybe I will. I just want one. That's one of those right. want things. They look cool. Uh, yeah. Austin, you have a few of those laying around in the dirt, don't you? Tons of them. I don't, yeah, I use them to hold the <laughs> cards on blocks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I wouldn't mind actually getting a newer lathe and getting rid of my Sheldon lathe, doing an exchange for those two. So, yeah, you know, but people that use lathes are, are lame, but, um, <laughs> dirty, dirty. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 
I, I really don't know. How about a big honking anvil? Because I think what's what size anvil are you using right now? It's like 260. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not as big as mine, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool, <Sure>. man. <laughs> I wouldn't mind selling all my anvils and buying one big, huge, brand new anvil. I have a lot of junky anvils. Right. That's, that's what, uh, if you're, if you're going to choose a brand new one, what, what would you choose? Probably a Holland anvil. Yeah. Like probably like there's 300 ish range or something. Just that one anvil rest of my life. That's all I need. Double horn or yeah. Or like London, London pattern. Okay. German pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Same, same answer. Or I like those rat hole forge. Have you seen those? Yeah, the, uh, they have like the church window on the side. Oh, um, yeah. they think they they changed the name. Is it Fontanini? Fontanini. Font, yeah, I have yeah. heard them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, those are pretty sweet too, and I think they make like a four sixty, which would be oh, sweet. That's a big horse. Yeah. Thanks, man, for coming on and joining us. It's been great. Uh, if you can tell everybody where they can find you. Instagram at Moss Knives or have a website, mossknives.com. All right. Excellent. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us, man. It was great. And uh, I look forward to beating you on Facebook Marketplace in the near future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's already on his phone, y'all. All All right, Tom. Thanks for having me. Good night, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. I always like talking to knife guys. Like I have a knife thing. I think a lot of guys like knives. I carry a knife every day and uh, I've got three. I keep in my little caddy next to my keys and my wallet. And every day when I'm leaving for work, I grab my wallet, I grab my keys and I put a knife in my right pocket. Um, It just got me kind of thinking, you know, how do knives play into y'all lives? Do you have, you know, some kitchen knives that you're close to, or maybe something that you throw in the pocket or, you know, a certain box cutter that you, you, grab at the shop. Austin, what a, what do knives mean to you? Well, I used to be a knife in the pocket every day until I stopped going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but I like, uh, I like bench made knives. That's my go-to for a pocket carry knife. And I've got a couple different ones, but, um, the number one thing that I want for it is I want an assisted knife if I can get it or, or an OTF, you know, out the front where like, you know, um, explain what that means. I'm sorry. So like a switchblade. OTF out the front. Yeah. Like a stiletto, like um, a spring assisted out the front. So two of the three knives in my daily carry, I have a, um, I have an out the front um, microtech that my buddy won on one of those Facebook illegal firearm and knife auctions. And so I bought that off of him and I like it a lot, but then I found a guy on Instagram. Um, it's EMP EDC. It's every man's pocket EDC. And he does these runs of different style knives. And he's got one called the slender man and it's real thin. It's, it's maybe if you put two ink pins next to each other, that's about the size, not Austin style pins, like just big pins, Put two big pins next to each other. That's the size of this knife. And it's an out the front knife and what i love about it is it has like a safety feature that if it doesn't fully extend it can't lock so it'll spring assist oh. out but if it hits something it it stops and i love if people have blue jeans on and they're a guy 
I'll walk up to him and click it and let it hit him on the side of the leg and scare the shit out of him. It's one of my favorite things. What about you, Christy? Um, I, I have a pocket knife in my purse. I mean, I'm, I'm a knife carrier normally, but it's just a traditional, I'd consider it a small hunting knife. Cause you know, I, I like to have multi-purpose. Um, so it's the knife that I take out whenever I go deer hunting or whatever. Um, <clears throat> we did get a really nice custom knife from, um, James Savage, Savage Blades that for, for our wedding gift, beautiful, beautiful kitchen knife, you know, considering Marvin's, uh, past life as a chef, knives are very important. Quality knives are very important in the kitchen. And, um, so we are actually a family of two knife blocks. I had the, um, oh, what's the, the ever sharp, whatever those infomercials are. Mm-hmm. Mail order I, knives. Well, yeah. But I'm telling you what, man, those suckers stay sharp forever. Something and then with an S, isn't it? I don't remember what it's called, but uh, but it's I a good set. Talking about Ginsu? Ginsu, is that it? Yeah, Ginsu was the one that used to like they used to like cut copper pipes and then they'd slice a tomato. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of yeah, kind of along that line. But so I've got a set, and then Marvin's got a. Set. I mean, we have more knives than um, than most, I think, in the kitchen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so the knife that you're carrying in your purse is it a fixed blade or is it a folder? It's a folding, it's a folding blade. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be funny if you like were at work and you're like looking for something, you like pull out this 12 inch Bowie knife, like, oh yeah, <laughs> just like digging through. <laughs> what do you think, Austin, the over under is on knives owned by the average maker? Oof, a lot. Over a dozen at least. That's for you're sure. talking about including like kitchen. I'm not talking about or... like steak knives. I'm talking okay. about outside just... of the kitchen. Outside of the kitchen. Are you counting even like, you know, like those uh, fancy maker, like they're called maker knives, like the yeah, exact like style? Box. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah, have that right. also. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, got for sure. Carter, Carter Exacto. I don't have one of the maker knives, um, but ton of box cutters. So let's talk about what's your go-to package opener. Um, I have these Husky, um, they have a clip, belt clip, and then they flip out, but they have the box cutter blade on them. And mm-hmm. I've got one inside and one in the shop, and that's my go-to package opener. So I carry these. Um, it's like it holds a a razor blade, but it's like the straight side razor blade. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm talking about? Not the not the like pyramid not shaped the, one. Yeah, the right, ones that right you can up. like clip the clip them off or if you need yes. to. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like a little metal. It's like stamp sheet metal and the blade goes in it and then there's a cover that slides over it so you can actually sl- you slide it back like an inch or whatever and it exposes the blade and you can use it and then you hit the front of it and it just covers the blade back up people that are in like shipping departments use these because you can you know they basically it's like an eighth of an inch thick for the whole thing mm-hmm. it's like it's like a stick of gum in your pocket oh. yeah so i have a bunch you know I, I think i bought like a 50 pack of those and i just have them everywhere um that's my package opener. And then I also have like a, it's called a lightning OTF. It's a cheap Chinese, you know, um, spring knife. And I'll use that to cut open packages too. So, Cause I don't care. You know, I don't care about messing it up. What about See, you, Christy? I will, whatever's closest, whether it's, whether it's some form of knife or even whether it's a car yeah. key, an ink pen, or a car key. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just random randomness. I, I'm not patient enough. I want to open whatever box just arrived. And go I used right to like it. buy a lot of stuff from Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop. And 
back when I lived in Louisiana. And so you had to hit like a certain number to get free shipping. And if I was close, knives was my first thing. I would go look in the clearance rack and see if there was anything for 10 bucks or less that I uh, could add to my cart to get free shipping, but it was a knife. And I got this one. It's a, um, it's a K bar Tonto mm. tip and it's a black blade, but it's got this, I think it's called like a grip or something. It's this pebbled neon green grip. Oh. It's like their biohazard zombie killer edition or something. <laughs> and that's in the house. That tends to be my go-to package opener only. Cause it's so hideous. I would never actually carry it, but it's been a great knife. I mean, anytime you need to just cut something around the house, it's right there. Uh, easy to grab. Okay, guys, what about multi-tools? What are you guys carrying or what do you guys like to use? I keep uh, one of the miniature Leathermans in my car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the only, I never have anything but that. Um, so, yeah. Leatherman Squirt, one of my favorite tools that I've ever had. I had one that I bought in 2007 on my keys until I had to throw it away at a concert a few years ago. And I ordered another one to be delivered the next day while I was in the concert and it's on my keychain now use that all the time. Full size Leatherman's I've bought four of them. I never use them. I've tried to like force myself to carry them in my backpack or carry them at work. And I just, I just grabbed that little one. I love that little one. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. What about I, you, Chris? Do you ever multi-tool yeah, anything? I've got one in the, in the glove box in the car. I've not really needed it much, but I, you know, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Okay. What about worst knife accident? My worst. I got one. Yeah. So my (laughs) worst knife accident was, was one of my first knives I ever got as a kid. And it was a Swiss army knife, but one of the, not the small ones. It was a full size, like a, you know, like as wide as your palm and they didn't have a lock on it. And uh, I was cutting grass out of the crack in the driveway and when I went to, I, th- I thought I pulled it out far enough to go back to make another swipe and it closed on my hand. And as I was leaning away from me, I lost my balance all at the same time. Oh. So when I caught myself, I caught myself all my weight on the blade of the knife and it uh, cut my middle finger down to the bone. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I was Dang. probably like 12 or 11 or something. <laughs> and uh, I still got the scar on my hand. <laughs> nice. That was definitely the worst one. Dean, what you got? Uh, I've cut my hands pretty good bit, whether it be with different kind of tools or a sharp piece of wood or whatever. But the ones that stand out are always knives. I had ripe New Year's Eve. I was trying to do spoon carving and I had a carving knife slip and come across my middle finger. And I, you know, we'll have a nice little scar from that. But the one that I always think about is, is right here between my thumb and my pointer finger in the little crick there. I have a, a real pretty scar. Um, and it was from an exacto knife. What I was doing, I was doing some upholstery work on my car and I was trying to cut this piece of fabric um, to go to make a curve around a center console. And I was pulling the knife down and it slipped and it just went straight into my hand. And I mean, like in where it's, I could pick my hand up and the exacto is just sticking out. It was that kind of deep in my hand, but I had to get this done because the car meetup was the next day. So you just (laughs) pull it out. You slap something on it to make it stop bleeding and you get back to work. And most of the scarring is from, I never really give any of the cuts the attention they need, but I've probably got a half dozen just on my left hand alone from things that have slipped and and bit me. So uh, me and knives have a a real funny relationship. 
Yeah, that you? one kind of that one kind of reminds me of one of Marvin's uh, knife stories back in his his restaurant chef days. He had a deboning knife and he dropped it down the side and it went into his leg, into the calf. Oof. But but it didn't go in the muscle. It just literally cut his skin and slipped right into between the skin and muscle of his calf. Um so it's a filet knife. Yeah, it really was <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good one um, for me. The one that I cannot outlive at my parents' house was deer season weekend. I was um, cutting up some peppers, you know, bell peppers. So I had it in my left hand and I had my my knife in my right hand. And like an idiot, I was cutting you know, to core the bell pepper, but I was holding the bell pepper because I was talking because I wasn't, you know, focused on the actual cutting. And I sliced um, my pinky mm. down to the bone in that joint area there. So then my sister ended up having to haul me up to the urgent care to get it stitched up. So I had three little stitches right inside that, that little crease joint there on the inside of my pinky. And, and they, they don't let me live it down at all. Anytime I pick up a knife at uh, any family function, they're like, now, Christy, you shouldn't be holding a knot. You know, I get, oh I get, I get no respect, no respect. So we have an argument in my house about bell peppers and how you should, how you should cut them. Oh, um, my technique for a bell pepper is I hold the bell pepper in my left hand and I take the knife and I come in horizontal to the, so like I inline with the top cap of the bell pepper and I come down a half inch and I insert the blade a half inch and then I spin the bell pepper and then I pop the whole top and all the seeds come with it from the inside. Then I slice it in half, smash each side down and then slice it up. Like if I'm doing fajitas or whatever, that's how I do it Mm -hmm. long ways. And everybody that watches me do that, they're like, that is not how you cut a bell pepper. So how do you guys cut a bell pepper? I cut the whole thing like in half. And then I take the the seeds and core out, you know, out of each half of it. Wrong. I, uh, I cut the top off <laughs> and then I take the knife and I disconnect the innards from, you know, from that top part. And I just pull them out by hand and then I just put it on the cutting board and cut it. But when you cut through, you go all, so that when you cut the top off, you go all the way through like the seed yeah. core. Uh, yeah. Now try my way. <laughs> try my way. It'll change your life. All right. It might cut my hand off, but it'll change. My I was going to say, I think yeah, I've maybe you guys I, shouldn't do it with your stories. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's a good approach for me. What? So let's talk in the kitchen. What's your favorite knife to use? I like those. Well, I like a good paring knife. A paring knife is mine. And it's yeah. that, that set that I've had for umpteen years. And I actually like the steak knife in that same set. It's more meaty than the, you know, than the paring knife, but yet, you know, I got eight of them right there. So if they're dirty, I got an extra to go with. I have a drop tip chef knife. I bought from another Instagram maker that that's my go-to if I'm being fancy, but I use the high caliber craftsman cleaver for so many unnecessary purposes, things that don't need a cleaver to be cut with. (laughs) I still use the high craftsman, uh, high caliber craftsman cleaver for, stuff like that. But I tend to just grab the paring knife off the board. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I use the eight inch chef knife for everything. So how do you guys, uh, so you said you use a steak knife for stuff. Is it a serrated steak knife? Yeah. It's a serrated steak knife. I use that for 
serrated knives. I, I cannot stand. I love them. They are the first thing I do if my wife buys a set and it's like some of the knives are straight. I go out to the shop and I belt grind them off. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking hate serrated knives. They are garbage. The only thing they're good for is ripping open cardboard boxes. They have a place like in the restaurant industry, um, a high use knife serrated makes makes sense. Serrated makes sense if you can't sharpen the knife. Right. That's what I'm saying. If you're a steakhouse and you're not going to sharpen these knives overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I bought Marvin a, a really super long um, knife for like brisket to cut super long pieces of meat. Um, and then, of course, he tried to remove the, the pads of three of his fingers that one day. Um, so we did discover that's an extremely sharp knife that um, worked extremely well. But that's kind of a serrated, but it's specifically for like a really it's long It's almost brisket. like a turkey carving knife. It, yeah. yeah, it's huge. It's a, it's super, super long and extremely sharp. Really, that's the main thing that I'm after. As, as long as the knife's sharp, I'm good. Yeah. good to go. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and subscribe. We'd love to hear feedback from you, so reach out to us on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. You can find all of our latest individual content on Instagram or YouTube. I'm at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy is at Twisted Twine Woodworking, and Dean is at Dean underscore Duplantis. Thanks again, friends. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the thing that everybody picks up on. Speaking of which, I got like six messages while we're recording about Devil Which eggs. tells us that we need to we need to yeah. add in some things like that. We yeah, need to we have s- some respect for the irreverent. And then it gets people talking because they probably get tired of the same shit. Food. Food is what pulls every time that we talk about food. I get messages all the like people are like, and they want to be part of the conversation, you know? Right. And uh, I got like, no joke. I got 10 messages today where they're like, I'm fucking with you on the miracle. Whip. fuck that shit. (laughs) 